morning, everyone. Good morning again. <laughs> uh, it's so great to be with you all this morning. And I just want to, before we go any further, I just wanted to say a huge thank you to everyone who has donated for the Sandoval Outreach, who gave towards that. You made cookies, you made prizes, you put everything together, you collected food for baskets, you got people together to do that. You showed up, you loved, you served, and I just want to say a huge thank you um, for loving the community around us, for bringing the light of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus, into a community that is just so hungry and loving to receive the love of Jesus, which is a beautiful thing. And so as we continue that, I just want to ask that we would continue to pray that some of these seeds that have been sown um, yesterday as well as the weekend and week out efforts that are happening through Keen's Kids, that, man, those seeds would find good ground and that they would become very fruitful, that we would just see fruit abounding and abounding in great amounts um, through the Sandoval community and as we continue to partner with Keen's Kids and their ministry efforts in that community as well. Speaking of donating, next week we are having a blood drive in the parking lot. Okay, so we're looking for 11 people, just 11 people who are willing to and able to donate blood so we can uh, be a blessing in that way as well to our community. So if you're able to donate blood, willing to do so, you can sign up at the Welcome Center out there on your way out this morning and we will take your blood next week. Somebody, I won't, somebody will be here to take your blood. So uh, also... um, Most of you have probably already heard this, but Pastor Austin was in a pretty significant car accident um, on Monday afternoon, and we're just rejoicing that the Lord has protected him, and he didn't sustain any major injuries. However, as you can imagine, he is still feeling the effects of this accident, and so we are just asking that we would just continue to lift him up in prayer, complete healing for his body, prayers for for Julie and the family as well. And and again, a huge thank you to everyone who has jumped on board to love and support them in this time. And if you are interested in helping out with the meal train, come see me or somebody else after service, and we'll just continue to bless them in that way if possible. And I know we're all going to want to rush over and check in and see how they're doing, but let's just also respect them and his healing process this morning as he's here. Thank you for being here. We love that you're here. And if you know Austin, you know that he was determined to try to preach this week. And he fought and fought and fought and tried and tried and tried. And finally, we said, you know what, it's probably best that you go ahead and and lean into the healing process and and allow yourself to to rest and recover and not rush that process. So I have the joy of continuing in our Advent series together this morning. So sorry you're getting a lot of my voice today. But hopefully you hear past my words and we hear what the Lord has to say for us today. So Lord, we just come before you. We thank you that your gospel is good news. We thank you that you have come to give life and life abundantly. Lord, open our hearts to receive what you want to share today. Lord, we rejoice in all those things that we are giving thanks for. Lord, we thank you for for testimonies that remind us that this gospel continues to go forth unhindered. Lord, that you continue to change lives and shape hearts. Lord, we thank you for a kingdom that is without end and a king who reigns forevermore. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we are on our second week of Advent. And Advent most simply means, does anybody know? Advent means arrival, exactly. Advent means arrival. And so in these seasons leading up to Christmas, we are preparing our hearts to celebrate the arrival of Jesus. We're ready to celebrate Christ's birth. And yet, we also recognize 
that although Jesus was born, that the Word came and became flesh and dwelt among us, that He died in our place, that He rose from the grave, He defeated sin and death, but then He ascended back to the Father, which is a good thing, but that also means we find ourselves again in a prolonged season of waiting for an arrival. We find ourselves in a season of waiting. We were charged last week to wait well. And as we've sung this morning, we're reminded that Jesus is the Redeemer, the one that we are waiting for, and that he has not left us alone in our waiting. We don't have to figure out how to wait well without some help. He has given us the Holy Spirit. That's part of the beauty of why he ascended to heaven, is that he was able to send his Spirit to come and help us in this time of waiting. And so as we wait, we wait with the glorious end in mind. And as we move through this Advent season, we are going to intentionally kind of lean into that weight of the longing and the expectation for the promised Redeemer to come. During Advent, we are reminded once again that we are awaiting people, waiting for Christ's return. We're waiting for the fullness of his kingdom to come. We're waiting for the complete and total renewal of all things when Jesus does return in glory. And as we said last week, During Advent, we look back as we look forward. Since sin first entered the world, humanity has been waiting for someone to come and make it right. Although all of creation was drastically impacted by the dreadful weight of sin, mankind was not left without hope. Amen? The promise and the thread of redemption is sown all throughout Scripture. We get a first glimpse of this all the way back in in Genesis chapter 3, that terrible chapter that that accounts for the fall of man, the disaster that happened because of it. And while Adam and Eve's disobedience did lead to great consequences for all of mankind and all of creation, it is in the midst of God pronouncing judgment on the serpent, that great deceiver, that there is a promise of a son who will crush Satan. And so with a promise of hope, They waited. We fast forward and we see this pattern of of sin and and judgment and God's grace time and time again. As sin and the consequences of sin continue to run rampant throughout the world, God speaks his covenantal promise to Abraham once again that a son will be born. And through him, the nations will be blessed. And so with a promise of hope, they waited for a son to be born. As we continue to follow that thread of redemption, we're not going to touch on every aspect of it, but we get to, get to David, that shepherd boy that's turned king. This has to be the one. People are longing. They're waiting for it. Who is this one that is going to come and redeem? Well, here it is. Samuel comes. He anoints this, this shepherd boy to be king. This must be the one that God's favor is upon. I mean, he has the heart of God with him. He's the one, right? Well, no, he's not. Under the rule of David, we do get a taste of that promised kingdom. And yet, the hope of redemption still remains. Although it wasn't David, that hope remained because God told them once again of a promised son who is going to come. Someone from the line of David that is going to reign forever and ever and ever. Whose kingdom is without end. So again, with the promise of hope, the people waited for a son to be born. What we see in all of this is that the people of God in the Old Testament were 
awaiting people, just as we too are awaiting people now. They were and we are awaiting people with a glorious promise of redemption. It's coming. For us, it has come in part. In all their waiting as descendants from Adam and Eve, Abraham and David came and went. They must have been asking the questions over and over and over again. Who is the Redeemer? Who is the one that is going to come and make all things right? Who is the one that can reverse all of this stuff and, and enter in the age that the Lord had been promising? Since the fall of mankind, redemption was needed to bring us back to God. Sin does some ugly things. We need a Redeemer. God has promised repeatedly to send that Redeemer. And the question that we're asking today is what kind of Redeemer is needed to bring us back to God? What kind of Redeemer is needed to bring us back to God? Good news for us, we are not left guessing at this. We don't have to figure it out ourselves. Throughout the story of redemption, God was faithful to teach the people what to look for in the promised Redeemer. We said it last week, and I've already said it once today, that we are called to wait well. And waiting well requires knowledge of who we are waiting for. It helps to know what you're waiting for. If someone said, wait, he's going to come, it sure would be helpful to know who you're looking for when they walk through the door. Every person that walks through, maybe that's the one, maybe that's the one, maybe that's the one, I don't know. But the Lord has not left us guessing. He has been faithful to teach his people what to look for in the promised Redeemer. So as we wait well, the Lord gives us knowledge of who we're waiting for. As we turn to our text this morning in Isaiah chapter 9, let me set the scene for us. There's a lot going on here, so hold on with me here. The kingdom of Judah, at this point, finds itself in the midst of a very dark situation. What we find out in the first eight chapters of Isaiah is that Ahaz, the king, he's a terrible ruler. The language of 2 Kings says, he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And that's to put it very kindly. We're talking idolatry, child sacrifice, immorality, all of it. This is a bad dude. His rule is marked by war, darkness, and pain for the people. In fact, at the time of this prophecy, the nation of Judah is currently anticipating the attack of two rival nations that have banded together to set their own king over the throne of Judah. This is followed by another prophecy from Isaiah that there will be a coming Assyrian invasion that will defeat Judah's current enemies, which sounds good, but it will also overwhelm Judah, shrinking the nation to just a shell of its normal size. So as you imagine... This would lead to great fear for the people and fear for Judah's king. And so as mankind tends to do, they go looking for answers in all the wrong places. Because the people are in darkness, they can't seem to know where to look. They can't seem to recognize that they need to look to God for the answers. Chapter 8 ends by revealing to us that because of the nation's poor leadership, the people will be thrust into darkness and even deeper anguish and deeper gloom than they were already in. You see, the nation needed a righteous ruler. The nation is lost in darkness. They needed a shepherd to guide them. They needed a savior king. Then we come to chapter 9, verse 2. The people who walked in darkness, what? Have seen a great light. 
The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Immediately we have good news. Finally, we have some good news. Immediately we see something starting to happen in these first three verses of chapter 9. The situation of the people is becoming to turn on its head. It's being reversed by a king that is coming. I'm going to read verses 3 through 5 for us. This is Isaiah chapter 9, 3 through 5. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden, the staff of his shoulder, and the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. It's not needed anymore. The results of the king showing up turn everything on its head. Where there once was darkness, there is now light. Where the nation was decreasing, it's now beginning to multiply. Where there was gloom and anguish, now there's an increase in joy. Where there was war, there is now peace. This king comes and he fixes everything. All that the former leaders and all the former rulers had broken, he begins to fix it all. All the negative effects of poor leadership are reversed by this king that God sends. Now I want us to notice a few things this morning about this king. If you have your Bible in front of you, look at verse 6 of our passage today. It says, For to us a child is born. You see, the people didn't go out to find this king. No, a child was born. This child wasn't trained up. It wasn't chosen from the best and brightest young minds of arising prospects in the land. No, this child was born. It wasn't as if God had, had come and given them a training regiment for every child in order to create this new king. God simply says, no, a child is coming. That one day he will be born and this child will be the king that the people need. And the people won't find this king without God's help. I don't know about you, it's, it's at this point where I usually have to kind of pause and not rush through these stories. Because sometimes they become very familiar to us, right? We read, the, read that phrase that a child is born. And we jump immediately to, yeah, 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 Jesus was born of Mary in Bethlehem in a manger. You can see the nativity scene on the mantle. Right? And we just kind of rush through and we miss some of the significance that's, that's taking place here. And while it's true, we're, we're missing out on something if we don't put ourselves in the story at this point. Remember, the people are being terrorized by other nations. They're on the verge of collapse. The armies of the world are surrounding them and God sends a baby. He doesn't send a large army. He doesn't send stronger military powers. He doesn't stin- send strategies or ideas. He doesn't send more plagues. (laughs) He sends a baby. A child is to be born. The people are waiting, longing, questioning. Who? Who is going to make this right? Who is going to redeem all of this brokenness? To ask our question earlier, what kind of king or redeemer is needed to get us out of this mess? God says, a baby boy. Come on, that's a little crazy, right? It's a little crazy. It's a little wild. And if I'm being honest, I think it's a bit disappointing, right? At the bare minimum, if that baby was born in that day, then we're looking at what? Maybe 18 more years of waiting, 18 more years of oppression and war until this baby can be an adult king with a little bit of credibility where people will take what he says. 
I don't know about you, but we can't even handle waiting for standard shipping, right? <laughs> Three-day shipping, not enough. Give me next day, right? Same day if available. But God is the author of this story. And the words that he's telling through the prophet is that a child will be born who will be the Savior King that these people need. A baby boy will be born who will reverse that which is broken. We sit and we feel that. We just have to say, man, that is amazing. It's simply amazing. Another thing I want us to notice as we look at the story of redemption playing out is that the people didn't return to God. If you notice what we read, it says they were walking in darkness. They were walking in darkness. We like the idea of a story that says something like the people were they, people offended God, and once they were enlightened to the error of their ways, they turned and asked God for forgiveness, and then he sent them a king. But that's not how this story goes. When we pick it up, it says the people are walking in darkness. They are far from God, but in his love and in his grace, in his mercy, God comes to them. He enlightens them with truth. He brings good news to them. He brings the kingdom in full view before them, even while they were a people far off, even while they were off in darkness. What a gracious, gracious God we have. What a gracious God he is. As we continue to work our way through the text, we, we notice that not only is this king who is to come going to be a man, a, a son, a child who is born, who will come onto the scene, but this king, guess what? He's also God. This Redeemer that they are waiting for, as crazy as it seems, is going to be a child. And oh yes, this king, this child who they're waiting for, who will be king, the one who will redeem, he is also going to be God in human flesh. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. These aren't just nice names that look good on Christmas cards. These names are names that were used only up until this point in the story. They were reserved for God himself. People would understand, oh, God is going to come as a child to establish his kingdom forever. And there will never be a day, church, when we look out and we think, all right, God, I think your kingdom has reached its maximum capacity. Under this God, man, the kingdom will never end. Under this God, man, this king, this savior king, this kingdom will never stop growing. And we can't even begin to imagine that. We live in homes and apartments that are measured by square feet. If you have some property, maybe it's measured in acres. But there are limits and there's boundaries. Our buildings have maximum capacities. Our cities have city limits. Our states have state lines. Our countries have borders. And empires throughout the ages have an expiration date. But of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. This coming Redeemer King, his kingdom and his reign over it will never end he will rule and he will reign with justice and with righteousness from this time forth forevermore. And the promise says that the zeal of the Lord of hosts, he will do this. So while we might not be able to imagine an eternal kingdom with, without capacity, what we can say is that is good news. 
That is good news. You see, there is always room for more at the table. There is always room for more. And I wonder this morning if we really believe that. Do we really believe that this kingdom is just going to keep growing and growing and growing? At times it seems like maybe it's heading in the opposite direction. But the promise of the kingdom is that it will not be defeated. It will go on forever and ever. Nations, people, empires, even family lines deteriorate, but Christ and his kingdom are always increasing. Amen? Amen. Last week, we answered the question, who is the Redeemer? By declaring that the only Redeemer is the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God. Today, we're, we're answering the question, what kind of Redeemer is needed to bring us back to God? And we're here to proclaim that the Redeemer we need is the one who is truly human, a child to be born, and also truly God, a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, the Prince of Peace, the everlasting Father. As Jesus, our Redeemer, fully God, fully man, began his earthly ministry, we read in Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 17, that he does so in a very specific location in Galilee. Matthew 4 says, He went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. Now, if you're me, like, cool, great. That sounds good. Go, Jesus. Start your ministry. But it's been noted by people who have done a lot much more historical research than I have that the way of the sea and the land of Galilee was a place where foreign armies would start their invasion against the nation of Israel. What does that mean? Well, that means that this specific location would have been the place that took the hardest hit. This would have been the place that felt the most pain um, of bad and hostile leaders that were coming to invade. And isn't it fascinating? that Jesus, quote-unquote, invaded the nation of Israel by beginning his ministry as the righteous king who renews the earth in a place where the people were hurting the most. Isn't that so much like our God? He goes first to those in the deepest darkest, the deepest darkness, those most in need of the light. Those verses in, in Matthew 4 go on to tell us that the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 9, the one we've been reading, it's fulfilled by Jesus when he begins his ministry in Galilee. And let me just add one thing here before, before we move on. We start our services each and every week with an invitation for this very reason. We start every week by saying that all who are weary and need rest, and all who mourn and long for comfort, and all who fail and desire strength, and all who sin and need a savior, all who have been beat up by life, all who hunger and thirst for righteousness, Christ the Savior King was born for you. We remind ourselves again that this is the Jesus who came to those in the darkest place. He came to those who were hurting. He is the God who is near to the brokenhearted. He is the God who comforts his people. He's the God who flips everything around and reverses the situations um, that, that were destroying us. He is the king who comes to establish his kingdom in our hearts and in our lives. And so we remind ourselves of that each and every week as we say, you're welcome here. 
Jesus' arms are open for us to come. He receives you if you are weary and you are mourning and you are failing and you are in sin and you are hungry and you're just beat up by life. Jesus has come to you. Christ the Savior King was born for you. He came for you and he came to you. Jesus is the Savior King that God's people were waiting for. The kingdom of God brought about by the King who is truly human and who is truly God. And so as we wrap this up and worship team, you can, you can join me back up here because we're just going to continue by singing because why not? As we, as we continue here, let's remind us once again that Jesus is the Savior, the Redeemer that we too are waiting for, truly God and truly man. Now, Here's what that means for us. First, we need to be aware of our tendency to put our hope in tomorrow in the kingdoms or the people of this world. We need to be aware of our tendency to drift that way, to put our hope for tomorrow in other things, in other people, in other kingdoms of this world. We aren't the heroes. Sorry if that's a little punch in the gut. You're not the hero. He is. It's actually good for all of us. He is. Man alone is not the hero. The redeemer we need, the redeemer we're waiting for is not just a man. He is a man and he is God. And only Jesus fits that description. Second, as we wait, as we wait for God to do the work, we have to remember what he is doing and the nature of his eternal kingdom. Jesus is redeeming for himself a people of all nations He is establishing his kingdom that has no end. What he has promised, he will accomplish. The zeal of the Lord will do it. He is redeeming and restoring all things. And one day, church, he will return in glory. And so we should be a people who are abounding in hope. We should be a people of hope, desperate to see Jesus come. Despite the the seeming trajectory of the world that we look out and we see, if we are in a people of joyous, otherworldly hope, maybe it's a sign that we have placed our hope in the wrong things. Maybe we need to ask the Holy Spirit who he has left for us to help us wait well, to search our hearts, to reveal any false hopes that we're holding on to, and return our gaze to Jesus, our Redeemer, to remember him, for he is wonderful. Amen. Amen. So if you're able to, I'm going to invite you to go ahead and and stand with us. And we're going to sing this song, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery, again this week. The song is is kind of our uh, little bit of like a theme song for us as we continue in our Advent series on the incarnation of Christ. And so as